There we go. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13 this morning. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn it to Romans 13. Now, I wrote this on the back of a napkin last night in the airport terminal. So if it makes no sense, it made sense to me that day. <laughs> Romans 13. Uh, and we're going to start in, in verse 11. Now, I realize I'm leaving out a good portion of chapter 13 and everything before it, but for the sake of brevity, I'll cover that shortly. Romans 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or in sexual immorality or sensuality or quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is God's word. This is the time of the year in the church calendar. Uh, This is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a season of looking ahead, of hopeful, of hope. It is a season where we begin to say, Let's look forward to what God has for us. It's usually and traditionally used to help us uh, usher in the uh, beginning of or, or Christ's ministry on earth. We celebrate that at Christmas time. And so this Advent season is, is preparing us. It's a preparatory time. Which makes it odd for us to be able to choose this particular passage because it just doesn't seem to be very Christmassy. And it's true, it doesn't. However, there is an element of hope in this passage. There's an element of looking ahead to what could be and what will be. And that's what I want to focus on today. A few things I want to focus on that are interesting, I think, to me, and hopefully they're interesting to you, is that that, uh, what comes before this passage that we've read this morning matters to what we're reading in the passage this morning as well. When you read the book of Romans, it is Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. This letter is written to these churches uh, that are learning to live together. As we all know that uh, uh, Christianity really came out of Judaism. And so we have all of these Jewish Christians uh, learning to follow in the Jesus way. And learning to live in Christ's manner of living. And learning to live with him as the Messiah. The one whom the Old Testament brings, uh, uh, says he is. But the gospel of Christ is not just for the, wasn't just for the Jews. We know that God expanded his horizon and expanded uh, to include all of humanity. And so back then, the uh, the Jews would say, well, there are Jews, and then there's everybody else. And they call them the Gentiles, which is sort of a pejorative term, you know, uh, saying, well, we're chosen and you're sort of chosen. And the book of Romans is written to just such people groups. And they're learning to exist together as one people. So if you can imagine, it sounds like almost like uh, uh, like the Brady Bunch, where you have two different families smooshed together, and you say, well, my mom does it this way, or my dad does it this way, and, and you're not really my sister, or you're not really my brother. And Paul is writing to say, no, we are one family. The Jews came first and became as a, as a witness, and then we have been grafted in into that family, and we are just as good, he says, that the Gentiles are just as loved and part of God's family as you were. 
But it's also an intersection not only of the Jewish and Gentile believers, but it's also an intersection of the Roman culture and the emerging Jesus way of life. The Roman church was living in a very uh, cosmopolitan society uh, that had learned to live in a certain manner of ways, in a certain manner of living. They had begun, uh, had, had adopted certain mores and cultural things that were just part of being normal. And that's what you did in Rome. You know, wherever you get that, that statement, when in Rome, well, that's where it came from. It comes from these churches doing things, or these people doing life a certain way. And yet, the Jesus way of life kind of just runs right into that culture. <coughs> runs into in such a way that it causes the church itself to go, how then shall we live? So that's what Paul's letter is, written, is saying in this passage, or that's what it's getting to. But secondly, I noticed that this section deals with the public witness and how to live the Jesus way of life. Prior to this passage, or that we read this morning, we noticed that, that uh, Paul is talking about how to live publicly, how to interact with governments and authorities. He's like, he says things like, pay your taxes. You know, do good. He says you can't be prosecuted for doing the right thing. He says you can't get in trouble, in a sense, for doing good and doing what is right and well and, di- and dignified. He says do the right things, pay your taxes, live peaceably in your country. But also he talks about this idea of the way of love, the way of service, the way of sacrifice. To live publicly in those days was not meant to be sort of a hedonistic sort of way of life, but to live in such a way that like Jesus did. Which leads us into this particular passage. This passage actually gives us the motivation for why we should do what we do. This passage actually is, in a sense, sums up all of what Paul has been saying here about public life and how to live the Jesus way. Paul encourages the, the hearers to live uh, in the light. If you notice there are these, these uh, uh, contrasts, there's light and there's dark. There's daytime and there's nighttime. There's sleeping and there's being awake. What he seems to be encouraging the hearers of this particular passage is to live a Jesus-shaped, other-centered life. To wear Jesus in a sense like clothing. And I'm not talking about that, those, that cheap Christian clothing of like, you know, um, his pain, your gain, you know, sort of where Jesus is muscled out lifting the cross. That's, that's not the kind of stuff I'm talking about here. But putting on Jesus as if he were uh, um, um, clothing that we would wear to present him to the world. What I notice here is that Roman life appears to have been mostly hedonistic, a self-centered pleasure for pleasure's sake sort of life. If you notice what Paul is railing against, he's like, don't get involved in orgies and, 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 and uh, drunkenness and sexual morality and, and sensuality. He's saying that these things for, themselves, for, their, for their sake are, are self-centered actions that are really just about yourself. They have no care for the other person. It's just whatever I want. And we can always put that into today's culture. It's, it's not just those sexual things, but there are a whole bunch of other things that we can get involved in that are me first. Because in a sense, that culture back then is very similar to what we have today, that what, I, what makes me the happiest the most is what matters the most. But the Jesus way of life is not. The Jesus way of life is uh, found in love, in founding in the other. It is found in service, in giving of oneself for the sake of another person. 
We find it in the beginning of this passage, it talks about love your neighbor as yourself, for that is fulfilling in the law. The Jesus way of doing things is the antithesis of the way that of the things to flee from. So, so Paul goes on to encourage a moral life. However, the moral or the encouragement to live in an honest and decent way is not for its own sake. Paul seems to be driving home a deeper motivation. Yes, it's good to be moral. We can all agree to that. In fact, if you go and talk to your coworkers, your neighbors, they would all agree that being moral is a good thing. But the reason behind morality and the reason behind avoiding all the bad things is not just to avoid bad things. Paul is driving at a deeper point. And here's what I think it is. I think he is talking, he's saying here this morning that how Christians live in the world will reflect their ultimate hope. As we talked about, Advent is a season of hope. Advent is a season of looking forward, of the time when Jesus would come again. To come and remake this world in such a way that it will look like the lives we live today in our, in our present situation. Our decency and honesty and love ought to be reflections of, of um, the world that God will bring into being at the resurrection. Our decency and honesty and, di- and dignity and love ought to reflect the love of God has given to us in Christ already. The way we live ought to be a testament to what Jesus has done for us. If we remember uh, in 1 John where it says, not that we have loved first, but that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In the same way, if we are going to be those of us who have received Christ in faith, we ought to be living out of that love towards our neighbors, to the people in this room, to, our, uh, to the people we see outside, even the annoying ones who drive slow, like me. But we ought to be... Uh, uh, living in such a way that reflects the love of God in us, what he has done for us. When we do so, it shows the slow and steady work of the Spirit of God through us, that Jesus' own life and death and resurrection, the ultimate in love and decency and service. Secondly, not only are we ought to live in such a way that it, that it reflects what Jesus has done for us, but that Jesus uh, wants us to live in such a way that reflects God's love and care for the present. Oftentimes, we get in, in the evangelical circles, we tend to believe that God is going to just rain down fire and burn this whole thing to the ground and poof, gone, and then we'll get a new one. Which would be completely outside of what God actually says in Scripture. God actually says, care for the things now. There's a reason why when we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we find that he says, take care of the world I have given you. We are to be stewards of creation. We are to be stewards of each other. We are to take care of one another. The reason why we pray for one another in this place is not because we hope that something will come in the future, but that God will take care of us in the present. We ought to be, in a sense, pro-life from cradle to the grave. We ought to be pro-love where we care for all manner of humanity. Whether they look like us, act like us, sound like us, or behave like us, it does not matter. We ought to be pro-culture, meaning that we ought to be those who are in the midst of culture and, uh, uh, and redeeming it and bringing it up to a level that praises God, that appreciates the sliver of light sometimes found in the darkness. Who can look at a film and say, boy, that's full of really bad stuff, but there's something in there. There's something redeemable, and I can see the light through the darkness. 
We ought to be the preservers of God's creation. And that means everything from, uh, from you know, trees and mountains and stuff to each other. We ought to be living good lives and decent lives because we are meant to be the ones who preserve it here. Show that God actually cares about the now, not just the past and not just the future. But we ought to be living in such a way that shows that God cares about humanity and creation today. Lastly, I think Paul is saying here in the passage that we ought to live, how we live ought to point, um, uh, point us to God's resurrection event that's on the horizon. He says here that salvation is nearer today than when we first believed. And that's true. Every day we get up, we are one day closer. We are one day closer to when God comes in an ultimate way and recreates all that we see. It's like a power washing that you would do at the end of the snow season. You get that power washer off and you, you clear off the grime that the snow has left behind and your house suddenly looks ten times better. In some, way, in some weird spiritual way, I think that's what God's going to do to creation. He's going to come down and wash the grime off this whole thing and colors are going to pop. We're going to see things in a way that, that we're like, wow, that's how it was. But oh my gosh, it's even better. We saw the sunset uh, at, in Phoenix, which I have to say is really nice. Not nearly as good as in Colorado, but really nice. But I can imagine that the orange that I saw on the backside of the, of the mountains and how it lit up the sky and the glow of it. And God's resurrection, when he comes to remake all things, that orange is going to pop. And it's going to pop in such a way it's going to make all the hair stand up on your head or the one on mine. Paul is telling us here this morning that we are closer each day to that day of days. And the resurrection of Jesus, though, is our hope for ultimate renewal. It is the motivation that gets us out of bed in the morning. When we get up each morning, we can look outside and go, one day closer. One day closer. It's a, sure, it's a secure waypoint that we can look to, a fixed point on the horizon that allows us to make it through some days that are really, really hard. When we have resurrection in mind, we can say, I can make it today because I know what's coming tomorrow or the day after that. It motivates how we live. So the reason we want to live a good and decent and honest life is not for its own sake, but that it points to Jesus it points to his love and his care, and it points to a future that is coming. And then we are rehearsing for that. We do that when we meet together on a Sunday morning with the bread and the cup. We rehearse the meal that we'll, we'll uh, share with all of humanity, that we'll share with God himself, and that it'll be like the best Thanksgiving ever without bickering or anything else. And no, co- no topic will be off limit because all the topics will be redeemed, and we can talk about all manner of stuff. There won't be a limit. And your plate will never go empty, and nor will you be way too full to eat anymore. It'll just be awesome. So how do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, here's the point. And Paul makes it relatively clear here at the end. He says in verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Jesus. Now I know that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you go to your drawer in the morning to pull out your clothes for the day. You're not going to open it up and find Jesus in your drawers. No, that didn't sound right. You're not going to find in your wardrobe anywhere. You're not going to find... I know, it sounded bad. Maybe I'll just scrub that out of the recording. Maybe I'll keep it in there. Maybe I'll get more likes for it. Who knows? 
What I'm just saying is that you don't have the, like the Jesus suit that you can go and put on each morning. So how do we do that? What does Paul actually mean? Here's what I think. When we go to put on Jesus in the morning, it means that we go and are with him. So to be with Jesus means to be with him in prayer. And not just the, the saying of our Father, which is a great way to do that. It is not just remembering like I do Psalm 23 each morning. It is not just listening, but it is a sense that you step into the Holy of Holies with him by the power of the Spirit and are with him. When I have my coffee in the morning, I sit with Jesus. And while if you came down, you'd just see me and you think yeah, I was asleep, but I'm with Jesus. He and I are sharing a cup of coffee in the morning in the quiet and solitude watching the sun come up. When I run in the morning and I, I get a chance to see the stars out, still in the twilight, I'm with him. He is with me. And I remind myself of that. You, each of you in this room, are with Jesus. We are with him. So to put him on almost is like we acknowledge his already presence with us when we pray. When we open God's word and we hear about how he was with the Israelites, how he was with the disciples, how he was with the early church. When we read their stories, we are with him. It is not just simple religious things that we do to check off a box, but it is engaging with God in those stories and being with him when he was with them and he is with us. And when we do what Jesus did, we are with him. We are acting as if we have that super exoskeleton on the outside of us and we are walking in His power. We have the power of the Spirit in us, so He is with us. So when we put Him on, we walk in His power as well. That way we can love our neighbor as ourselves. That way we can love our enemy and pray for them and seek their welfare. That means that we can go to those that culturally we may be at odds with and say, I love you. Put on Jesus, but also put off the old person. Let's be clear. When Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are uh, those who mourn, uh, uh, don't lust and don't do all these other things over here, he's give, he has in mind that we're going to do those things. He has it in his mind that, yes, we're going to be uh, stumbling and bumbling around constantly. But he wants us to do is continue to not do those things. Put off self-centeredness. Put off uh, uh, joyless giving. Put off uh, you know, being angry all the time. Get rid of those things. Stop being so judgmental. Pull the planks out of your own eyes before you, put the, you know, point out the speck in somebody else's. These are these ongoing things that you and I will always be doing constantly. Every once in a while, I'm reminded of my own uh, um, negativity and I'm often reminded uh, uh, and get to see my own uh, ugliness at times in my own, the way I handle things. I think Jesus each day says, why don't you just not carry that out the door with you today? Why don't you choose to do something different? I've given you the power to do so, to be joyful instead of you know, a nasty uh, person. Uh, I, I've given you the ability to be happy and not such a sourpuss. Why, why don't you do that? How about you be generous today and smile for the life I've given you instead of being kind of a curmudgeon? What I'm just saying is that the old life is constantly trying to hang on, but God has given us the power to take that off and leave it behind. We can leave it behind. 
You can leave it behind. And we ought to live, lastly, in the daytime, pointing to the time that is coming. Listen, every year we have this Advent season and we have this Christmas season and we point ahead to this one day, this one day of awesome presence that's over in like two seconds when everybody rips everything off and, and, and just, oh, and, and they enjoy their presence. But we are all like single-minded, single-focused on this one day a year. When God gives us this option or this ability to receive this other day that's coming. I love the old hymns. Says, I, uh, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. In a sense, that's what Jesus is telling us to do. He says, walk in the daylight because something amazing is on the horizon and you can see it coming. And this is the good news. You can go to people who are in darkness and go, man, it's bad right now. I get it. I'm with you. I'm in it. God is with you in it. But something is coming. Something better than we can even imagine. A time and a place and a new reality that is going to spring up and you get to be a part of that. Wouldn't that be great? Live in the daytime. I think Paul sums it up nicely earlier. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Echoing Jesus' commandment. Echoing what it says in Deuteronomy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, that's Leviticus, excuse me. Love your neighbor as yourself. So your mission, should you choose to accept it. In this Advent season, let us refocus our attention on the things that, that what God has done for us what he's doing with us and what he's promised us. There is a past, present, and future. Let us rewire our brains to do so. And we do that through spending time in prayer, spending time in the word, spending time together, and spending time caring for others. So pick one of those. I know it's not very specific, nor is it very witty, but there it is. Let us... uh, Let us take a few moments and consider the words this morning.